You are listening to America's home for stadium news and information. Stadiums USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. There's great optimism for the new arena under construction on the northwest side of downtown Milwaukee. This area has sat empty and unused for decades. Bucks beat writer and reporter Gary Wolfel of the Racine Journal Times shares the vision for a new entertainment district to be built around the arena. NFL TV ratings are down significantly, and that impacts revenues. How can the NFL get back on track? Well-known agent Lee Steinberg shares his thoughts on how to do it. Stadium food options are increasing. It's quite a story. The food is improving. The menu no longer stops at hot dogs and peanuts. Charlie Neary of Ovation Foods tells you how we got there. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran tracks the venues for this weekend's conference football championship games. But first, the stadiums beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? An investigation has been launched into the use of luxury suites at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. The Star Tribune reports state legislators are looking into who has used lower-level suites controlled by the Minnesota Sports Facility Authority. They are the operators of the stadium. At issue is who benefited from free tickets in the suites. Republican Senator Julie Rosen talked with CBS Minneapolis. The more I hear about this and the more I think about it, I am completely disgusted. This is a public entity, public dollars, and the, the, the arrogance is getting way too thick. The Minnesota Sports Authority defended their position, saying the suites are used to attract new business to the stadium. They also said they were caught off guard by the investigation. A new collective bargaining agreement reached between Major League Baseball and the Players Association could have ramifications on the ballpark front, specifically in Oakland, where the A's have benefited from a reported $30 million annually in revenue sharing. According to the new agreement, that money will be phased out over the next four years. Does that create a sense of urgency for the team to put a ballpark deal together to replace lost revenue? CSN A's insider Joe Stiglitz thinks so. Um, I think it points to the urgency of finding a ballpark site, building a ballpark in the next few years, and having a really nice venue where you're attracting more fans, you're building up attendance, you're generating your own revenue, and you replace what you're losing here. New A's president Dave Cavill's primary task is helping the team identify a place to build a new stadium. And coming to a ballpark near you, music, and a lot of it. The latest trend in baseball is top musicians booking concerts at big league ballparks. Singer-songwriter James Taylor is joining Bonnie Raitt for a 2017 tour that includes Nationals Park, Wrigley Field, and Fenway Park. Major league teams are embracing the concerts as the clubs running their own stadiums, pocket concessions, and parking revenue. Bill, that's the very latest. Okay, Jeff, thank you. Early in my career, I had the great privilege of working in Milwaukee as a young pup broadcaster coming up many years ago. And there was a young pup reporter working in Racine with the Racine Journal Times by the name of Gary Wolfel. And we reached out to Gary, and he truly is an expert. He keeps a close eye on all things Milwaukee Bucks, all 
all things pro basketball, just as he did then. We wanted to visit with Gary about the new arena on the way for the Bucks, And what an exciting project this is. Gary, fill us in on where this stands. What can you tell us? Yeah, it, it truly is an exciting project. Uh, and, and before I go too far, you use the term experts. I hope you put quotation marks around that word. <laughs> oh, that goes without our <laughs> listeners know we, that those quotations are there, believe me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, as far as the uh, Bucks New Arena, everything is on course. And, uh, you know, originally uh, two owners uh, from New York uh, purchased the team from Herb Cole. And then, oh, a short time later, another guy named Jamie Dynan. Uh, joined the majority ownership, so the three of them have been working feverishly to get a uh, new arena. And, and the incredible thing, Bill, is that, as you well know, moving things in Wisconsin goes at a glacial pace when it gets to legislatures and politicians and so forth. Mm-hmm. But uh, magically, uh, these guys came in and, and they persuaded Democrats and Republicans alike that a uh, arena was necessary for downtown Milwaukee, and they uh, pushed it through the legislature rather quickly. And uh, so if everything goes accordingly in the year 2018, 2018-19 season, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks will be uh, playing in a new spanking new arena. Gary, many of us have been to the Bradley Center a number of times, found it to be a very Mm -hmm. appealing place to watch pro basketball. Why was it so important that this building be built? Well, I I think part of it was the amenities, like you you know, well know around the country. Everybody wants a a state-of-the-art facility, and there was some issues with the infrastructure at the Bradley Center, and uh, I, I know for a fact that when some of these big name concerts came to town and they would come with these humongous bands of theirs and, and load the equipment, uh, most of the new arenas were equipped for them to back right up to the door and make everything easy. And uh, the Bradley Center wasn't built like that and it would take a lot of money to revamp that portion of it. The seating itself was a little outdated and locker room space, for instance, like NBA teams, I mean, is very, very small compared to take for instance the dallas mavericks i mean you can drive a semi through the dallas mavericks locker room so i mean there were a myriad of reasons why they needed a new arena this new arena will be part of a downtown project there's going to be other buildings uh, going up the sides of it. a hotel is planned there um, business, uh, another business building is planned there so uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this transformation goes you know, in the next five or six years. Gary, talk a little bit about what this building means, particularly related to Milwaukee's proximity to Chicago and the old thing that's gone on for years with Milwaukee looking over their shoulder at the so-called big city. What does that mean in the mindset for Milwaukee, which in its own right is a wonderful city? Yeah, it really is a wonderful city. It's taken a bad rap probably in the last year or two. I mean, do they have issues? No question. I mean, what major city around the country doesn't have issues? And I think it's just going to be an absolutely terrific shot in the arm uh, for the economy. Then you compound that with the fact that the Bucks have one of the most exciting young teams in the NBA. 
they got a chance to be an elite team, you know, maybe even someday an NBA championship caliber team. And, uh, you know, if they can spark that interest along with the uh, new arena, it, it's going to be a fantastic place to uh, watch basketball. Well, Gary, it sounds awfully exciting. We're certainly going to keep an eye on everything going forward. Congratulations, Gary. Continued success. Oh, thank you, Bill. I've always considered you a uh, classy guy, one of the classiest guys that I've, I've come across uh, in the media, and uh, today was uh, just a, another example of it. So well, thank you. Gary Wolfel is our guest from the Racine Journal-Times. Now, stay tuned. When we return, we're going to talk about five ways to make the NFL better. And we'll visit with Lee Steinberg, super agent, about that. That's coming up next here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. I don't know if you saw the article in Forbes magazine recently, but it is a real conversation starter. And the guy who is starting that conversation is a very well-known attorney and agent who has had a tremendous career, Lee Steinberg, who has worked for over 40 years and represented hundreds of professional athletes, people you have watched play these games. He wrote a very fascinating story five ways to keep ratings and attendance up at NFL games and we wanted to visit with Lee and talk a little bit about it uh, Lee congratulations everybody's talking about this you put some real thought into it um, why did you feel compelled to go ahead and respond in this way uh, and you've really given quite a treatise here I think there's been a fair amount of discussion this year about sagging television ratings, how they're down as much as 25% Monday night, down Sunday night, down on Thursday night. And so it created some focus on what's happening in pro football this year and whether or not certain trends have occurred, the length of games, the amount of action, the scheduling which really need to be addressed. Pro football today is the dominant sport in this country, and it's uh, not only the most popular televised form of sport, it's the most popular form of televised entertainment. In many weeks, three of the top five rated shows are nighttime NFL football on the Nielsen ratings. So uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to look at some different ways in which the success of football could be maintained 
and certain trends that are making it more difficult. When you are as popular as the NFL is, I suppose to a degree you always run a risk of oversaturation. Do these numbers, these television numbers, indicate that is an issue? I think one of the problems is that, especially for a millennial generation, they don't watch conventional television as much. The hot ratings overall on television are down. They use multiple platforms of social content to watch a game. You've got a generation that's used to multitasking, that's used to having instant activity come on over and over again. So when I say things like, let's eliminate replay, it's because what occurs is that every time a play is challenged or reviewed, it creates dead space at home for a television viewer and in the stadium for someone sitting there. And it's interminable. It just goes on and on. And the reality of the situation is that human judgment comes into every part of officiating a game, and it even comes into reviewing a piece of film. Sports are not trigonometry or physics with exactitude. We've always relied on referees to make these calls. Sometimes they've made bad calls. It tends to even out in uh, the end. But when you have a running back run the ball 40 yards, and now he scores a touchdown, and the thrill and excitement of that moment is now delayed because you're not sure whether or not it's a touchdown, And when this goes on over and over and over again, it destroys the momentum a team has going. It breaks the moment that should be the ultimate thrill into an anticlimax. And the point is, do we need that? When you ask fans why they're watching less football, the leading cause, 40%, is the controversy over the flag and Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. So my feeling about that is it's great for players to express themselves politically in all sorts of ways, and I encourage it. But when you use the stadium as the platform, it's a slippery slope because Colin Kaepernick has this relationship with the national anthem where he feels it's a racist country and so it's not proper to stand. Well, the next group thinks that abortion is murder because they're born-again Christians. They use the stadium for a place of uh, demonstration, and then the next group uses the next group uses it, and a sport which is enjoyed by people from all sorts of backgrounds, from different political views, different races, genders, everything, but they all come together for sport, stops being that respite or escape from the problems of real life. Lee, we cover the stadium's beat here, so one idea you had really stuck out in my mind, and that was about technology, improvements in technology as far as the stadium experience is concerned. You mentioned the possibility of monitors, video monitors, being installed in individual seats. Can you unpack that for us? So I think we need to look at every part of the stadia experience from when a fan approaches parking to when he leaves the stadium. And the first concept is to create a sports town contiguous to it, which is what we did with the Committee to Save the Rams, to say that you can have Disneyland-type virtual reality sports rides 
and you're able to get foot traffic there every single day, all day. So it relieves the problem of spending a couple billion dollars on a football stadium that then only has 10 home dates. So you create activity zones with other things to do. In-stadium experience has to have the same aspect. Fans are not going to see an endless group of wins on the playing field. (laughs) So the concept of going to the game has to be a fun experience. Now, when you take the millennials who are used to texting and tweeting and YouTubing and uh, uh, Snapchatting and the illusion they can control every sense, every minute of sensory experience through their thumbs, what I've said is let's put a monitor in front of every seat. And they can watch any game they choose in addition to watching the play on the field. So they can be engaged in a whole different set of activities. They need to be doing something all the time. And on that screen, down one side, will run their fantasy stats so they can follow theirs. And on another side, their gambling bets so they can keep track on that. And we'll have a text capacity so that they can talk smack to fans inside the stadium or outside the stadium. So... You know, if you're in the Big Ten and there's a football game going on, you can, and you're from Michigan, you can talk smack to Ohio State people or vice versa. <laughs> and then we'll allow the fans to vote on one play call a game that the coach has to call uh, by consensus, and we'll also allow them to overturn a referee's uh, decision once a game, uh, again by popular vote. Now, when you touch that, screen, you can order from the snack bar. And when you touch that screen, it unleashes a torrent of games and puzzles and quizzes and activity, all of which uh, ultimately has monetization. So that instead of sitting there bored, not wanting to come to a stadium because we know that a football game may go three and a half hours and might have a half hour of actual action, you hold that generation in the stadium. It's a fascinating read. We highly recommend it to everybody. Check out Forbes magazine and look for this article, Five Ways to Keep Ratings and Attendance Up at NFL Games, authored by attorney and agent Lee Steinberg. Lee, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Lee Steinberg, our guest. Now stand by. When we return, we'll talk shop. Mark Medoran joins us for that next on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. It is time to talk shop once again. We examine this week's stadium headlines, and for that, we turn to Mark Medoran, president 
and creator of the Stadiums USA website. And if you didn't already know, Stadiums USA is the preeminent source for stadium news and information. And you can listen to podcasts of our program, test your stadium knowledge at our quiz site, everything available to you at stadiumsusa.com. So check it out, please. Mark. College football takes center stage this weekend with a number of conference championship games, and that means some exciting venues, too. Of course, we always look at it with an eye toward those venues. Let's start with the SEC, and uh, that is step one. We have several of these, the SEC up to bat first. The SEC championship game in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, featuring Alabama at number one and Florida at 15. In 2015, the crowd there was 75-320. It was a very good crowd, and that a TV rating of 8.3. I suspect they're going to do very similar numbers this year. Uh, This is the final SEC championship game from the Georgia Dome because they are moving to the new quarters at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium down the street uh, for next year's contest. One of the things you'll notice when you're watching it on TV is that they have special end zone painting this year. One end zone is designed to reproduce the look at Bryant-Denny Stadium at Alabama. The Mm. other end zone is reproducing the stadium look at the Swamp. Let's head up north to Indianapolis, Mark, and take a look at the Wisconsin Badgers, your big bad Badgers in action against Penn State. And this will be at Lucas Oil Stadium. Should be a great game. Everybody knows who I'm cheering for. Yes. <laughs> Wisconsin has the most championship appearances in the Big Ten Championship. Wisconsin's, this is their fourth appearance. This is Penn State's first appearance. Lucas Oil will be at near capacity for football, uh, which is about 70,000 seats. Last year for Iowa-Michigan State, they drew 66-9, so they just about fill every seat in the place. Lucas Oil Stadium has 137 luxury suites, eight field suites, and 12 super suites. And one of the things you'll notice when you get there, there are two giant scoreboards, one in each uh, corner, and one uh, they're both the same size. 97 feet by 53 feet. Mm. That's a big scoreboard. Mark, an outline was released this week in Oakland detailing specifics of a plan to keep the Raiders in the Bay Area. You know, we've heard a lot of stuff coming out of Oakland recently. Uh, How much stock and creed should we place in what we're reading? It's hard to put a lot of faith in what we've read because all of these discussions have occurred without the actual Raiders in attendance. If you're building a facility for the primary tenant and the tenant is in discussions, uh, how much weight does it have? Libby Schaff is hoping all is well with the deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Ronnie Lott group uh, wants to get involved and is providing quite a bit of money. The way this is going to work out is the Lott group would provide about $600 million dollars. There would be about $200 million public money, which is a lot of infrastructure uh, uh, improvement, and another $200 million would come from the NFL. That should be about enough, but the understanding is that the $600 million from the lot group has strings attached. Those strings have to do with partial ownership of the Raiders, and Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, has never, ever said anything about selling a portion of ownership, mm-hmm. so we don't know if that's going to work or not. There is also another fly in the ointment that hasn't been mentioned. There's still $95 million of debt owing on that 
old building. Remember when the Raiders moved back from L.A., they put $100 million into the facility to build that upper deck and expand seating. Now all of that seating is tarped over, as you remember. Yes. That was part of that $100 million expansion. My understanding is they still owe $95 million on that as well. And no one's explained who's going to pay off that debt at this point. All right, Mark, it's time to hop in the Wayback Machine and reach back on some dates for stadium and ballpark history. What do you have this week? This week in 1924, the iconic Montreal Forum opens. The Sporting News dubbed the longtime Canadians venue the most storied building in hockey history. Mm -hmm. It was the home of 24 Stanley Cup championships. 1961, only 1,300 fans attend the Knicks game at Madison Square Garden as a snowstorm belts New York City. It still stands as the smallest crowd in Garden history. 1966, the Oakland Coliseum Arena opens as the Warriors beat the expansion Chicago Bulls. The Coliseum is now known as the Oracle Arena. Bill, you've uh, worked there? Fond memories of the place? Yeah, I have worked there. And you know what? That's one of the arenas I really didn't like very much. (laughs) I didn't think that was a spectacular building. I will say this. They've made a lot of changes since I was last in the building, Mark. They've upgraded a lot of it. Now, along with our Stadiums USA website, we have our quiz. And I've pulled a question from the quiz for you for this week, Bill. Here we go. Mm. In December of 2010, you'll remember, the Minnesota Vikings were forced to move their home game to another stadium after the Metrodome's inflatable roof collapsed due to snow accumulation. Can you name the venue where the Vikings played their, quote, home game? All right. Was it Ford Field in Detroit? Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis? Mm -hmm. Lambeau Field in Green Bay? Or Soldier Field in Chicago? All right. Soldier Field is out. (laughs) Lambeau Field is out. That means either Lucas Oil Stadium or Ford Field. It happens to be, if I remember correctly, it was Ford Field in Detroit. You are correct. It was Ford Field. And if you remember, they played that game with anyone that wanted to go, got in for free. It was was the best deal in sports. So. That's it for this week, Bill. Mark, a pleasure, and we will check in with you once again next week. Now, coming up, stay tuned. The game is changing when it comes to ordering food at the ballpark. It's no longer hot dogs and Cracker Jacks anymore. We're going to dive into the culinary side of stadiums, and that's coming up next on SB Nation Radio. have all gone to the ballparks and we know one thing certainly today it's not just hot dogs and peanuts at the ball game anymore it is expanded into a whole new array of food offerings and a very much of a changing landscape relative to food food preparation and all of that and one of the leaders in this space is a company called ovations food services they are based in florida 
Charlie Neary is the executive vice president, and he is based in their West Coast office. Charlie, it is fascinating. We're starting to see the impact of a whole new kind of offering uh, in terms of food, what is available, and just how good it is. Uh, And there's a great experience awaiting people at many of these ballparks. Can you kind of wind us back and take us uh, back to the beginning of this one? Indeed, we did have nothing but hot dogs and peanuts and take us to where we are. How did we get there? Well, it's an excellent question, and and as you were just uh, doing your intro there, I was thinking back of my days as a San Francisco Giants fan going to Candlestick Park on cold, foggy nights, and and basically your choice then was, you know, a hot dog that was probably prepared two or three days before the game, <laughs> uh, and and a bag of peanuts and a and a soft drink. So, yeah. uh, we've definitely emerged over the years, and you know, I think that it boils down to what the public wants and what the public expects, and I think that people are not satisfied with what food service used to be. They go to a sporting event, they're spending a lot of money, and it's more than just watching the product on the field, but it's the entire experience of the event that they're attending. So food service is certainly a critical part of that, and the public has demanded more, and uh, our job is to provide more. There's a reason why we had hot dogs and peanuts all these years. That's a pretty easy job. The type of food, the type of offerings you're talking about, that's a totally different setup. Compare and contrast what's involved when you step the level of food up. You know, and you bring up a good point that I just want to touch on. You know, the old days, the stadiums and the construction stadiums, food was always an afterthought. So it does make it more difficult to have an elevated experience when you're operating in an old stadium. Today, however, stadiums and arenas are built with food service in mind. So what we're seeing is instead of just a basic what we call non-cooking concession stands where it's just a space for people to sell essentially prepackaged foods, what's being designed now are full-service kitchens built into these concession stands. So it allows us the opportunity to start getting really creative. And, uh, you know, that really boils down to hiring uh, creative, entrepreneurial-minded people, looking at what the new trends are um, in each community that we operate in. I think that's really an important element here is, and something that we try to do, and I, I know our competition does as well, where you go into a stadium or an arena in a particular city, one of the first things that we do is we encourage our culinary team to go out and dine out in that city and find out what people are talking about, what they're uh, eating, what they're drinking, and then how do you integrate those types of foods into that particular venue. And we encourage our guys to really be as literally off the wall as possible and to try to just uh, come up with menu items that are going to be A, unique to that venue, and B, something that the team or the stadium or the arena can actually market because food service becomes a real marketing element for whatever venue that is. It's more than just offering great product, but it's actually being able to talk about it, inviting the press in to see it and taste it and smell it. And that word of mouth starts to permeate throughout the community, which helps sell tickets. What is it like when you're dealing with fresh components, you're making fresh food? That is a radical change and difference. How hard is it? And talk about the plumbing that actually makes that possible. 
You know, it, it's really not that hard. Uh, it's funny because in our company, our tagline, it's Ovations Food Services, and, and the tagline below our logo is Everything's Fresh. And what that really means is obviously fresh product, fresh service, but it's a fresh attitude. And so a lot of it is going in and, and even in a difficult uh, venue to be able to say, okay, how are we going to set this up so that you don't need to pre-wrap a hot dog? Uh, again, the number one item that we sell still is going to be a hot dog, right? So, uh, but it doesn't mean that it should be pre, you know, cooked two hours before and then wrapped and, and put into a hot box somewhere. So uh, in that particular example, we put roller grills in every one of our stands. And when a customer comes up and orders a hot dog, what our cashier does is reach down, get a warm bun, get a hot dog fresh off the roller grill, put it into a boat, and it's served open face to the customer. So that if they walk away, they actually see what it is. They're not having to peel this bun off of the hot dog. So it's really about designing the space that's appropriate for whatever the menu is that you're serving, but to always do it in a fresh manner. And you see that throughout the country now where there's more portable locations as well as uh, permanent locations where the food is being made to order. So the customer comes up, they want a particular sandwich item, they want sliders off a grill cart, they want a salad, whatever it may be, the culinary team is trained to design that or to prepare that uh, right in front of the customer. And again, if it's set up properly while the cashier is dealing with the transaction and taking the money or the credit card or whatever it may be, the food service preparation person is, is preparing it. And so by the time the cash transaction is done, the food is handed to the customer. It's companies like yours, Charlie, Ovations Food Services, that are helping to make it happen. Uh, congratulations, and uh, we'll give you a little ovation right here for an outstanding job. Well, terrific. Appreciate the time, and uh, I think you're right. Food is, uh, is definitely improving, and uh, we're looking forward to see what the next uh, decade brings because it's going to be different, I can assure you that, and better. Charlie Neary, Executive Vice President of Ovations Food Services. That's our program for this week. Bill Hazen saying thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show right here on Blog Talk Radio. 